Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Jenna Selmer, the co-founder, chief community officer, and president of Basecamp, talks to students about red and green flags when applying for jobs in the outdoor industry and shares powerful tips to finding a fulfilling career. I don't have like a spiel prepared. What I love to do is literally like answer questions. And every Friday, usually this is the exact slot I do it in though. Um, I usually do an ask me anything and people just are like, Hey, here's my question. And I answer it. So I'm happy to do that format. Um, or I'm also happy to answer some of the questions that Chase, you sent over earlier. And those are really about red flags at jobs, how to figure out culture, And I like that you did mention networking as well, because it's such a massive part of the job search. And then also just like, kind of like a life hack, to be honest. So I really think that understanding how to network and understanding like when to do it, why to do it, where to do it. And the fact that it's a muscle that you will not be good at unless you practice is really important. So what do do we think? Does anyone have questions right now that like you're wanting to ask, or do you think I should just hop into a topic if you have a question maybe raise your hand and at some point if you can share a little bit about base camp i think that would help set the stage oh yeah everyone has your bio um we shared that beforehand so it should at least be a little familiar but i'm gonna tell you maybe like here's what we'll do. I'll tell you how I got into the industry and a little bit about Basecamp. If you have a question, please raise your hand and then we can go from there. Um, And then I'll just, if not, I'll segue into those three things that we talked about. But okay. So I am new to the outdoor industry, which is cool because a lot of people know who I am in it, which I think is really great proof to people that are, you know, newer entering in as students, maybe like yourselves, or are trying to cross over that you don't have to have this crazy long tenure, that there is this myth that you need to have, like to be proof of that. Um, I started my career, I got, um, well, I got a bachelor's degree, actually, and then I used it waitressing in Europe. So that shows you, you know, how you can pivot. Um, To be fair and clear, I made more money waitressing in Europe than I'm making now or ever before. So that was a fun job. But when I moved from Europe to America, I decided that um, I wanted to use some of the free money for school that Uncle Sam was giving us through the military. And I got a master's in public administration. And that degree was helpful in helping me deal with increasing levels of stress, something that I've needed to pull on throughout my life, Um, but also for a network. Because after that graduate degree, I was looking for jobs and not maybe having the best of luck doing that because no one knew what a master's in public administration was. Um, And I got an email from one of my old teachers who said, um, hey, Jenna, like there's this woman looking for someone I floated your name because I think you're great. And I saw what you were capable of. This is a teacher that I talked to a lot after class and asked a lot of questions. And she understood what I was curious about. Um, and she's like, can can you meet her? And so she actually parlayed her knowledge of me into my first job, which was launching an aerospace accelerator with the chief scientist of the Air Force Academy, which was pretty freaking cool and not a job I would have gotten if I had just applied to and shown them my resume because they would have been like, 
No. Um, so it really, I think that shows the power of networking first and foremost. Um, but from that experience, I was able to kind of figure out what gave me energy and what I like to do. And I saw a job at the Olympic committee as a scientific communicator. And I was like, I can do that. I have been helping heads of tech understand what, you know, other demographics, community members, um, local stakeholders are saying and translating things. So I'm really good at like being an intermediator, being a communicator. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I applied for that job, got it. The way I got that job was actually impressed the hiring manager by um, answering one of his little prompts, which by the way, I'm just going to segue for a second. If you were asked to do free labor during a job application, that is a red flag. If a company cannot assess your skill set based on your application and your past work, then they should be paying you to do a specific test for them. And if you do elect to do this free or not free, always get an NDA because in some cases, nefarious companies will actually take the work that you did as part of the application process and use it. And it's just, it's not a good vibe. So be aware of that. So it, you know, it's kind of good and bad that I was asked to do this because I stood out because I, instead of giving him a word document to answer his question about the organization, how I would go about something, I built a website because I have ADHD and perfectionism and just thought it would be cool. And it was, and I got hired in another way. It is still cool because it showed I could do the work. And ultimately that is what your application is supposed to do. So if you can figure out a way to do that and stand out, you are probably going to get further in the application process. Um, But I digress. That was a super fun job. From there, I was working with a lot of athletes, a lot of people, and I was just traveling a bunch. I was living in Colorado. So I discovered the outdoors and I was just out there a lot. And I started working as an influencer for brands like Cliff Bar and um, a couple others that I won't name anymore because I don't like them anymore. And um, I just started like loving the outdoor industry. And then all of a sudden I was on Facebook and this group popped up called Basecamp. And I was like, I'm going to add this because I want to be an influencer for full time. Like that was literally my thought in this very like professional job, wherein I worked with the commissioner of baseball and analytical scientists. I was like, I want to be an outdoor influencer. It's fine. Doesn't matter what your dreams are. You should pursue them if they give you energy. Um, so I joined the group and I was just in there a lot because I liked the people. Um, It's just a Facebook community. They were sharing jobs. They were sharing advice. They were sharing just like everything. It was a place where I was like, oh, everyone else here loves going outside too, pulling some of the same passions from it. Um, And I, and Allie um, who founded the group just saw me in there so much. And she was like, Hey, this group is growing a lot. She started it by just like, needing a place for jobs to be shared because she's been in the outdoor industry for so long, like outside magazine, gear patrol, um, just at almost every outdoor brand that you can think of. She's worked for Nike, Rivian. Um, and she's like, oh, whenever I'm between jobs, I wish there was a place to go for that. So she just added like a couple hundred of her friends in the beginning. When I joined, it was like 5,000 and she was struggling. And she's like, will you help me admin? And I was like, yes, because I loved it there. Um, and we started talking and realized that we were like, pretty bad bitches with real sharp business minds. And we were like, let's turn this into a business. Like we can really be helping people at scale. We can be doing really great stuff and the industry needs to shift and we can be stewards of that change. Like we're in this amazing position. So from there, we launched a podcast called Outdoor Dream Jobs that we flew to Patagonia to record our first session. And we started a newsletter that gives people weekly jobs and also tells them about other stuff and gives them tips. And then we started doing events and now we are building ethical tech. So I am now a tech founder um, and we are trying to reduce bias in the hiring process and get people more access to opportunity. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. I'm really glad you're recording this because I feel like I did that really well this time and I'm happy to have that resource for the future. Um, <laughs> and, you know, from this job, I'm not like an HR, like you, you heard my history. I've, I'm not an HR expert, or at least I wasn't. Um, all of my knowledge has come since training Basecamp and just I've done so much research now and we're working with... Um, Oregon State University. Oh, am I allowed to say other universities? (laughs) Your nemesis. Um, (laughs) 
we're working with them to do research on bias. And really I've gotten like this crazy education through spending thousands of hours of work, listening to the community, um, you know, reading papers on HR, listening to experts, listening to podcasts from them, everything. And so I've just fallen into this um, area of expertise about employment, culture, and things like that. And most of it truly is though, just like listening to people and understanding what they need in a workplace, um, which at the end of the day is really rooted in like a couple of core things that we all share. Like we all want to have autonomy. We all want to have flexibility. We all know that at some point in our lives, we're going to be caretakers. So we would like our employers to acknowledge that part of us and, and not make us feel bad. Like I remember used to at the Olympic committee, actually, I didn't like my boss there. Um, I would feel scared about having to ask for time off to go to the dentist. Um, if I wanted to go home and see my family back in Canada, who I didn't get just I don't get to see them that much. I, I would just like have anxiety about having to ask for time off. And I think that a lot of employers are realizing, um, that they really need to make time for that. But what I would like to see is the workforce, all of us talent, people, individuals saying, this is what's important to me. And I need to speak up for it and find and seek out those employers that give it and set boundaries with employers that do not and make it very clear to them what I need. And so it's really cool that there's so many questions about culture um, being asked from this group as well. And that's something that we can dig into, but you should be digging into that all the time on your own as well auditing when you feel good, when you don't feel good in interactions with other people, um, understanding where you get your energy, really, really, really rooting down into the fact that employment is a partnership and a partnership needs to be equal and negotiable to work well for both parties. And you deserve that. You deserve an equal and negotiable partnership with your employer. Um, And you should not necessarily be super, super loyal to any one employer beyond those, you know, the constraints of that partnership. So if they're not living up to their terms of it, you should not feel like you need to stay there. And that is definitely a message that I would like, you know, future generations to have. Um, Gen Z is actually like on it. Um, Millennials, we've been doing our best, man, but we need Gen Z to just come out the gate and just like keep being loud. Um, So I'm super excited about the newer, fresher faces in our workforce. I'm going to pause there in case there's any questions because I feel like I've just talked a ton in a in a block. What do you think, Chase? Yeah, feel free to jump in, anyone, um, if you have questions up until this point. And then if not, I think going through some of those red flags we talked about is, is a great place to start. But yeah, I okay. agree. Anyone, feel free to jump in now if you have a question. I have a question. Oh, yeah. um, with kind of figuring out what to do like in HR and when you were first getting into base camp, what were some of the best resources that you found while trying to stay educated on that? Uh, sorry, educated on what part? On um, just like learning how to like maintain a business and like with HR and just knowing how to run base camp. Okay. So knowing how to run Basecamp has been a trip. I YouTube every day, like how to be a business owner. I don't know. Um, I'm learning how to do new stuff all the time, but I'm whip smart and I have confidence in my ability to learn new things and just kind of like get through it. And importantly, ask my community. So you have so many people that you can rely on in this room right now. If you don't know how to do something, I usually start by like YouTubing or TikToking it. That usually gets me to the right answer. I won't use Google. It's so useless now. Um, and if you can't find what you want digitally after, you know, like a good college try, ask somebody, ask Chase. You might know somebody that knows somebody. Go on LinkedIn and ask all of your people there. Go on Basecamp and ask people there. Text your friends, ask people. So that is an undervalued, underused tactic to just kind of figuring stuff out. And then also a really, really, really under the radar place is the Workforce Development Center in your county. There will be one unless you live in like a very, very small town. And then the next town will have one. And Workforce Development Centers have gotten a weird rap as like a place that like unemployable people go. And that's not what they do. Um, They're amazing. So they will usually have a business development center in there. The resources at those places are 
freaking amazing. I have gotten free interns from them. I have gotten um, access to free mentors. People that used to run Fortune 500 companies are mentoring under a program called SCORE, S-C-O-R-E. Um, you've gotten access, I've gotten access to grants from them. They have people there, like their whole job is to help small businesses and they will help you. They also have people who people whose whole job is to help job seekers. So you can go there and get a free resume rewrite in some counties. Um, you can get career counseling. You can get access to like many jobs that are just, you know, not maybe people don't know where to advertise jobs. So like you not seeing a job on LinkedIn or like on a specific forum doesn't mean that job isn't available. It means the person hiring for that job doesn't know where to disseminate those jobs. That's it. And workforce development centers are usually a place that solicits these and helps those companies. So they might have a bigger cache of those jobs. Um, in the outdoor industry, Basecamp has the biggest cash because I know that and I go to all of the sources. But like if you're looking outside of the industry or in your local region, awesome, awesome resource. Um, what else do they do? They're just awesome. Like they just pair people with work and they pair businesses with access and resources and employees. And I cannot say enough good things, obviously. We have a small business development center here on USU campus. It's actually on uh, Innovation Campus, I think for everyone who's here. Um, uh, and I just linked to it in the chat as well. So them as well as oh, perfect. development. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like the resources always exist, right. And sometimes we're maybe just hesitant to use them. Um, I know a lot of people are always hesitant just to ask for help and asking for help. That's another thing. That's a muscle that you have to practice, right? The more you do it, the, the easier it gets. And actually, Let's talk about something called rejection therapy, because that is a pretty transformational exercise to do, and it will help you in a lot of different ways. Um, and if anyone doesn't know what that means, rejection therapy is just the act of, you know, putting yourself in a position to be rejected and starting with really like safe spaces for that and really, you know, edging up so that you can do things like negotiate for your first pay at your, at your first job um, or any number of things, right? Like it could be anything. It could be going up to someone and asking for mentorship. It could be like asking someone on a date. This really applies to so many areas of your life. And it's, it's a good thing to build resilience for is rejection um, because you'll take more chances if you don't fear rejection. And so a good way to start this is just like to ask someone in your cycle, like not cycle, but like in your like ecosystem, something outrageous, like, ask if they'll make you like a huge pinata shaped like a pineapple. Like, listen, if they say no, it's fine. You didn't really need that. If they say yes, like you, you just can't lose. Um, and then you can like work up and you can just ask people for things in your everyday life that you really don't expect. And in the act of saying no to you, they're just really helping you build up that resilience. So like, go to the coffee shop, order your coffee. And then when they go to pay, be like, can I have this for free? And they'll say no. Um, they've said yes to me though, a few times. So like, again, it's just like, there's no reason not to do this. And it really, it builds it up for you. So I love rejection therapy for that reason. That was a tangent, but I think it's my agenda to have people know how to negotiate. <laughs> it's a really good tangent. Um, it's actually something that we start this cl class off with. So I give the first lecture and that whole first lecture is like, Hey, we're going to build a LinkedIn profile. And this is how you navigate LinkedIn and reach out to people and find people that you yeah. want to talk to and become like, or learn from. And, and, and I talk a, a bit in that class about, or in that first class about yeah, what's the worst thing that can happen if you send a LinkedIn message? The worst thing that could happen is exactly. they say no or they don't answer. And as soon as that is hard to get over, but when you get over it, that's not all that bad. And you can just move on and maybe reach out to somebody else and it's not personal. So I, I love that. That's super It's fun. not personal. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Um, because it's not the worst situation if somebody doesn't reply to your message. And I say that as someone who... Someone in this call may have messaged me and I didn't reply to it because I am a little overwhelmed by the number of messages I get. Um, and so I don't reply to each message and it is absolutely not personal. And I get a little bit of anxiety each time I do it, but I also am like, I have to set a personal boundary. Like I can't just be answering messages all day. So I, <laughs> if you've messaged me six months later, you might get a message being like, Hey, 
let me see if I can still help you or like, thank you, or just some acknowledgement. But here's what does happen. I have now seen your name. I have now seen that you are like, I, I have an idea of, of who you are and what you're asking for. If you ever do come up in my ecosystem again, and someone asked me about you or, or whatever happens. And I go into that message. I have seen that you have reached out and I have seen why you have reached out. And that is actually very important. So it is never a bad idea to reach out when you're doing so thoughtfully and deliberately. And by those things, just to give you some tactical ideas, um, let's just segue into networking because it's my other agenda is to get people networking more smartly and meaningfully and not just reaching out um, and saying like, hey, I'd love to pick your brain. No, um, absolutely not. Um, hey, I'd like to learn more about what you do. No, read my LinkedIn profile. Spend a lot of time optimizing it. So you can start there. Um, and not having an actual question. If someone messages me and says, Hey, here's how I know about you. I've been following your work. Here is something that resonated with me or that we share. Here's a very specific question that I have for you. And in asking that question, I'm going to show very clearly that I've done my research. I've consumed some of your work and I've put in the thought to actually be able to have a conversation. Like I've done my job. I've landed here. I'd love to talk to you more about that. I'll answer those questions. And most people are like me. So it's pretty easy if you make it a formula like that. And if you want to talk to someone, you really should have a reason why you want to talk to them. So most people want to talk to me because they think that I can help them break into the outdoor industry. Amazing. Okay. Have you looked at the resources that we have already put out? how to break into the industry. Um, have you gone to the Facebook group and like looked through it? You know what I mean? Like, ha have you actually done your due diligence um, to answer your own question before you've come to me? Um, and a really good way to do that, like I said, is for me, it would be the Facebook group. But if I'm doing this and I identify someone, I know why I want to talk to them and I would be able to explain it to someone else. And that's important because I might need to ask for somebody to make an intro for me. Um, and I have gone and I have Googled them and I have consumed information that they have put out there. So most leaders, um, I'm going to say like most middle managers even will have created content in terms of a podcast that they've been on, not necessarily that they've created, but most people have been a guest on a podcast. Um, most people have been quoted in an article or written a blog post, um, or if nothing else, have something like an Instagram or some sort of social media where they've written something about themselves. If they have absolutely nothing, it's going to be harder, but most people don't have absolutely nothing and, you know, if, if they have absolutely nothing, then get a little more creative maybe. Um, but that's, I think that's not going to be the case very much. Most of the time you're going to be able to find out about people, um, ask them a question based on that content, show them that you've actually consumed what they do and have a very specific question. Another tactic that I've used that has been extremely fruitful is I will message someone first off and be like, Hey, I really want to impress you. Um, what's your favorite podcast that you've been on, which article really showcases who you are, which, what, what pieces of content are you really proud of? I'd love to consume them, um, and learn more about you. And people are like really stoked to be asked that question. And I think that it also makes them think about, um, the pieces of content in which they're portrayed well and like where they're in alignment with their values, which is a nice exercise for someone to go through. And they'll associate that kind of positive thing with you too. So it's something fun to do. Um, so that's a good way to start a conversation with someone um, in addition to commenting on their stuff. So I'm talking now about Basecamp. I hope most of you are members. It's a Facebook group. So I get it. If you don't want to be there, we're working on it or on LinkedIn. Follow the people that you want to be talking to and that you want in your ecosystem and actually engage with them because you can literally comment on anyone's stuff. Like I am now friends with so many CEOs, professional athletes, amazing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, famous people in some cases, just because I commented on like, it's accessible. You just can. And on LinkedIn, there's a little bit less noise. 
So they actually might, um, oh my gosh, there's questions in the in the chat. Awesome. Um, they, they will actually see your face and it's just a forum that you can show up. And now most people in the outdoor industry, like there's a couple of people that are like really hot on LinkedIn, for example, and they get like hundreds of comments, but like the head of Cotopaxi, David Smith, he'll answer your comment if you comment on his stuff. So like, there's a lot of really good ways to just show up, show that you're out there, show your face, get it on their radar just by making thoughtful comments on other people's content, which by the way, feels so much more accessible to people than like writing their own post. Cause it's great to be on LinkedIn and showcase who you are and what you can do by writing posts and giving great tips and providing value, right? Like it's, that's what everyone says, provide value. Um, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety surrounded with that. That's so much time as well that it takes to curate LinkedIn posts. Like it's really exhausting. Um, I refuse to do it. I will float. If I post something, I'll post it on the fly or not at all. That's just how I work. And that's great. Um, the comments I'll do all the time and people and comments actually get showed more. So do that. Do the thoughtful outreach. And then once you're friends with someone, once they know who you are, once you're connected, once they are able to tell you what you do, they have to know what you do. They have to know what you're about. Um, And you can show up in their inbox and be like, hey, like, and it's just a friendship now. Like, hey, like if I'm throwing this party or this event, um, do y'all know like what you would sponsor this for? Or like, oh, hey, like I really want to apply for this job. Do you think that you could intro me to this person? And literally I just text someone like I would text my best friend. And that is the best way to network I can possibly conceive to tell you because networking is just making new friends. And once you have friends, they will help you. So that's, that's my path to networking. Um, the favorite piece of content that best portrays you. Okay. Um, you're a genius. Let me get back to you on that. I, I actually created, um, I, this is, feels like so egotistic, but I love bragging. Um, and I think this is a good idea. So y'all should do it too. Um, in Spotify, I made a playlist of all the podcasts I'm on. And I'm just going to share that link. And I made it for my mom, actually, because she wanted to know all of the places that I was on. But I'm happy, happy, happy to share it here. Um, that's a good question. I think the Gear Junkie podcast that I was on recently um, with my friend Adam is the best one. Because I was expecting to go into that and talk about Ninja Turtles and um, and then fighting him. But he asked really good questions about the workforce, the outdoor industry and the state of things. And so it gives a really good indication of my philosophies toward work. And it gives a lot of tactical information for job seekers as well. So the Gear Junkie podcast for sure. And then I'm trying to think of another one that I really, really liked. I don't know. I'll, I'll just, I'll have Chase send out the, um, the podcast link. Maybe we were also featured on in outdoor retailer for the last couple of magazines before they shuttered it. And there was really good articles in there, but I don't know if they're accessible to be honest. So, so red flags in a job description, obviously are going to be like the written word, the written medium. For me, they're going to be subtle and I have opinions on this that are not shared by everyone. So you kind of have to like see words and then look outside and and get a bit more information before making like harsh judgments, of course. Um, But red flags, super, super gendered language in a job description. This one can be really, really obvious. Like the only pronoun that they use is he, um, or it can be a little more subtle. And this is where a little more research would need to be done. But there's um, there's so much AI now that you can take a job description and feed it through and, and see if it's gendered. So if that's something that you're looking for in a company of like, hey, like where are they in the spectrum of gendered language? Um, you could feed it through and then get a lot of good information about that company. And then also if, you know, like, if you were looking at a job and you're like, wow, I don't feel comfortable to apply to this job, but it seems like I should. And this is maybe my dream job. Maybe feed it through a gender bias decoder and see if that is why you're not feeling welcome to apply. Um, I'm talking specifically to women right now because women are less likely to apply for a job. And it's most often because they're like, I don't know if I fit all of the requirements. But often, well, no, always, if you have 50 to 75% of requirements for a job, you should apply for that job. You're ready. If you have 100%, you're overqualified and they're not even going to call you back anyway. Um, And whatever you don't have, you can just learn. 
and you can write in your cover letter, I don't know how to do this, but here's my plan for learning it. Great. That's, you know, you're going to have to learn stuff in all jobs. Um, oh my gosh, I just got off my train of thought completely. Um, oh, anyway, but the gender decoder will also maybe help you understand that like, it's not, it's not you, like you should feel a little bit more empowered. The gender language is probably throwing you off. So still apply for that. Um, yeah, it can also be words like the term aggressive is like very speaks to men. Um, the term curious speaks to women. So there's going to be little subtle things about that. Then there's going to be not so subtle things. So if you see words like guru, rock star, unicorn, I would like you to be on a little bit higher alert. Those things in themselves don't mean anything. Cause maybe it's like just a millennial trying to be cool. Let's be honest. We are the ones hiring right now. So we're probably, some of us are doing that and we're just we're not bad people. It's just happening. Um, but what it can mean is that the role has really unreasonable expectations and they're looking for someone that doesn't have a lot of boundaries in terms of work-life balance or flexibility or, um, scope job scope creep. And you really want to be cautious of that. And so if you do see those initial signs, you're going to have to go look at other elements of culture, um, which I'll dive into, but be on the lookout for those. I also don't like seeing terms like ninja because it's racially insensitive. And now that's one that I have to kind of bring up to a lot of people. And usually once I say it out loud, they're like, I do see that. I maybe wouldn't have made that connection before. I do see it now. Let me remove that. Other companies get really defensive. And I think that's really good information because it means that they maybe have some work to do internally and that their culture might not be accepting of all nationalities or as sensitive as it should about other cultures. And that might mean that there's a very homogeneous culture. And if you fit in, you fit in. But if you don't, you're you're going to have a bad time. Um, phrases like we're a family, we're a family is my biggest red flag, actually, um, believe it or not. And that's a contentious one because a lot of workplaces are like, no, like we really all enjoy working here together. And it means that there's a lot of just peace within the workplace. And like, we treat each other really well. It's a good thing to be a family. I disagree. It's a boundary that you shouldn't be crossing. If you're a workforce, typically the only people that have employed their families have really taken advantage of those family members within that business dynamic. I've only known of friends that had to work for their family and they didn't get a lot of autonomy or say in that relationship. It's also a sign that that workplace might want to be overstepping boundaries in the same way and almost guilting you into doing more than you are being paid for because you have this bond and friendship and you're a family. So I just typically see, and there's also research, this is not just my opinion, there's research backing this from many sources, um, that when that is the predominant culture, there is less, there are fewer boundaries than there should be. So watch out for that one. Additionally, this we're a family thing does seem to indicate, like I said, a more homogeneous culture. And so typically a family like looks the same and acts the same and agrees on things. So if you're coming in and you maybe don't look the same and don't agree on all of the same things, which is important within a business to have interdisciplinary perspectives and a lot of people speaking up from their, you know, their backgrounds and adding in their expertise, there might be hesitance to accept outsiders into a family, right? Um, So that's a really big one. Um. I think that it's also relevant to just talk about pay transparency, just because it's my favorite. There is, Utah is not the best state for this. So I'm sorry for everyone there because it's not legally mandated. Uh, I have seen a lot of great strides and I have seen a lot of organizations in Utah being transparent about pay, which is awesome because I think that those organizations are realizing that trust at the outset is super important. So y'all as job seekers, and then eventually as hiring managers one day, do you need to really audit how important that is to you? Because the pay for a job is set. They have a budget. They know what they're going to pay you. And starting out by not letting you know that should send a message that a couple of things are happening. Either 
they want to maintain, well, no, it's one thing. They want to maintain the power in the relationship by not giving you that information. So they have more negotiating power. They may also be trying to attract people for whom the pay wouldn't have attracted them, but they would still like to get those candidates and then maybe convince those candidates that the job is worthy for other factors. And you know what? Maybe the job is worthy for other factors, but in that case, you should still be telling that person the pay because they need to make a decision to apply or not. Like honesty just saves everyone time. So I would be really, really hesitant to apply to any job that didn't show the salary because they're not demonstrating trust at the outset. And the reasons that they wouldn't be showing pay are probably because the pay is too low. Let's be honest. The only other reason that I can think of is that they're, the pay is fine, but they're underpaying paying their current employees and they don't want their current employees to find out that they're underpaying them. And I think that's a pretty shady thing. And I'd want to know that about my current em- or my potential employer as well. So these are all messages that it's, it's cool. You're really being sent during the job description piece of it. Um, Some other things for more of the interview stage, once you do get to the point where you are engaging with the company and you're trying to figure out um, what the culture could be like, um, these aren't red flags. This is just kind of how to, how to figure it out. Um, So Adam Grant likes to ask what would happen here that wouldn't happen anywhere else? And that is a really insightful question to ask because it will show you kind of what's happening. I also like to ask, how much PTO did you take last year? And I asked that to every, or I would ask that to every single person I encountered during the hiring process. And what that will tell me is, do they have a lot of flexibility? Are they encouraged to take PTO off? They will explain, they'll say the number and then they'll also explain, because I do this in meetings when I'm talking to brands, if I'm deciding to work with them or not, I ask them this and they'll say the number and then they'll explain why. And in that explanation, it will also tell me if they have fear surrounding the PTO process, if they don't feel like they're able to take PTO because their workload is too heavy, or if they just feel like super empowered to take PTO and if their leadership does it. And if they're taking PTO for things like only well-planned out trips or like, yeah, I need to ski that day. Or like I was having a really bad mental health day and I needed to rest. That was what served me on that day. You'll get a really, really good sense of flexibility, autonomy, benefits from that question alone. Um, And then I also like to ask about people's favorite memories. And it's fun just to hear those. Um, You'll get two camps of people. Some people will not be able to think of any That's really good information. And some people will not even be able to choose between the many examples that come to their minds immediately. And that's also really good information. So those are some kind of like underlying ways I like to find out about culture in an interview section. Um, But before that, if you're just kind of vetting a brand, you can also follow their employees on social media. LinkedIn is the best one for this right now and see how they're talking about their brand. Are they posting their open roles and really being like, I love working here. I hope all my friends apply. That's cool. Um, Green flags for a company. That's kind of one, right? Like if you, if your current employees are evangelists of a company, that's a great sign for a company. If they are always seeing, talking about professional growth opportunities, if you're seeing a lot of promotions internally um, at a company, that means that people are being developed professionally, gaining new skills and able to step into new roles and being rewarded for their work. Um, That's a really wonderful thing. Um, Other green flags. These are harder. I like to go on the hiring page and bigger companies are better about this, but if they talk about their culture there, if they have any ERGs, employee resource groups, that is a sign that they do want to acknowledge and empower people that maybe have different intersectionalities than the majority of their peers. Um, And it's acknowledged they might need more resources to navigate the workplace or to feel safe or to feel welcome, or just to feel like they have a community there. Um, finding out who runs those ERGs, especially if they're an identity that resonates with you and if they feel resourced, valued, things like that, that will give you a really good insight into culture. So the ERGs are like a probable green flag, but go a little deeper if you can. Um, let's see here. 
green flags are tough because they're just so uh, there's they're just like the other side of red flags almost but it really is like are the employees happy um i like to see not a, my ideal situation for pto and benefits cuz some benefits can really be a green flag for me as well um so let me back up a job description that's not gendered a job description that explicitly says that people without 100% of the application should apply a job description with all of the information first and foremost including salary location how remote that job will be how much flexibility and autonomy a person has and the specific day-to-day responsibilities that person will have so that the scope of the responsibilities are clear, that's a super green job or super green flag job description to me. Um, Then when their employees are happy, that's super green flag to me. Um, Yeah. Let me think about that one a little bit more too. Um. I'm just trying to like get out the, we have like only a little bit of time. So I'm trying to like do the most important stuff. Were there more questions or chase? Like, was there something else that I should be hitting on? Other questions from the group? I want to make sure that you all get your questions answered. Same. This is super helpful for me, but I want to- I can just like ramble, right? But I want to make sure I'm rambling in the right directions. You all are in a different situation than us. So like as a student, what are you all thinking? Is this helpful- what questions aren't you getting answered? Where are you yeah. still uncertain of where to go from here? What are you still scared about? Yeah. I have a question. Um, sure. Sometimes it seems like there's no entry level jobs that are actually posted. Um, do you feel like networking is really the best way to start to work your way into an industry? Because, or just applying if something says three to five years experience and you have one, just go for it and apply. And I do think that me personally. Yeah, absolutely. So you did a two part question there. Networking is essential uh, to get your first job because you can't show experience other ways, right? Like you can't say like, I've done this before. I have done it for this company in this role before you have to hustle a little bit. You have to show your moxie. You have to show not only you can do the work, but more importantly, that you are pleasant to work with and that you can learn. And so the best ways to show those are just like in interfacing with people and making sure that they know things about you. What are you curious about? What problems do you want to solve eventually? What things have you done maybe for your capstone project, things like that. Um, How do you go about solving problems? How quick are you? How responsive are you? How organized are you when you do a project? These are the things that I actually hire off of and based on, but I've never seen them asked in any application. And I've also never really seen people talk about them in the application. It's just a matter of knowing that person because I've interacted with them before, had a conversation with them networked with them. And then I know what they're about and I know what they can do. Very similar to the first job that I got as well. Like my teacher just knew how I worked and how I thought and how I approached problems. And so she was able to be like, I'm confident in her, give her a try. And for an entry-level person, that sort of testimonial is absolutely so important. And um, I would be getting testimonials like that from as many people as you can as well, because those will help you stand out in an application. And then to answer the second part of that, apply for all your dream jobs all the time. Like what bad can happen of that? So worst case scenario, you get brought in to interview for a job you are not qualified for. The amount of information you can learn from that experience is like hilariously awesome. You get interview experience. You get to learn about the specific skills and expertise that they are really digging into and wanting. And then you can take that information and really pursue those skills if you feel like you don't have them. Or if you don't get that job, do a better job of explaining that you do have them and showing them that you can do that work or practicing that work in your you know, spare time for a hobby that you have. Um, an example would be if I'm like, I want to be a social media manager and I'm good at Instagram. I'm going to work on my own Instagram. That's a really good way that I can show my work. So yes, I would always apply if you think that you can do the job. If you have for sure 75% of the qualifications, you should apply no matter what tenure that they said that they needed because newsflash, most people writing job descriptions have no idea what they're doing. 
They have no idea. They're not hiring managers. They have to hire. They don't know how. They're looking at an old job description that the person before them wrote out, and they're just copying and pasting most of it, changing up what they need to. Most of the responsibilities might not even be current. If you're not dealing with like the top, top Keystone brands, which have like copious people um, working on HR every day, like a dedicated HR team doing this. And even sometimes then the job scopes are super, super long because they're just like, we want to be a catch-all for this. Um, But like, I'm asking for a social media manager that knows Reddit, Pinterest, YouTube, DM, Mastodon, Twitch, but like, if you know Instagram and TikTok, like you're good, apply type thing. So yes, that is my answer. Always apply if you think you can do the job. Cool. Jenna, thanks. And it seems, oh, go ahead, Mark. I was Sorry. just going to say, it seems like a lot of job ads are like their entire wish list of everything that they want. Yes. So. Absolutely. That's, that's very well said and great. Like if they can find a person like that, that's really wonderful. I'm trying to teach job seekers. We're doing it through our, I mean, um, employers through our tech as well, that you have to be really clear about like, what are the most important things? What, what business elements are falling apart without this person? Because like, you should be hiring for like three skills that's beyond that is a bonus. And it's great if someone has them, but like, we're hiring like a copy editor. Like they need to know how to copy edit. That's who I'm hiring. And then if you have other stuff, if you can also do TikTok, that's awesome. Let me, let me know about that. But yeah, it's, it's a problem. You're going to have to sort through that. Unfortunately, I'm working on it, but we're not there yet. Question in the comments from Ben, um, as a person that has moved sectors several times, how do you shift your mindset to work best in a new environment? Okay. Do you, ben, do you mean a new environment as in a new industry? I think kind of both. Like you said, you worked in aerospace and now you're working as yeah. like a tech startup. And I know you worked in tech startups before, but just like kind of how you transition between job shifts that seem larger, you know, than just one tech company to another tech company. Okay. That's a really, really good question. So for the most part, my day-to-day doesn't change because I'm solving problems and I'm just applying them to a new, you know, set of people that I'm working with. Um, and you know, just like new sets of problems, but what you do need to shift is understanding the codes and the cues of the customers in the new industry and the new communities and what their problems are and how they talk about those problems and where they talk about those problems. So really being enmeshed in a community is important. And that means going places like Basecamp and being like, what are people talking about here? What do they like? Y'all are in the outdoor industry. So if you're going to be in this one, it probably just means like, do you, do you engage outdoors? Like, do you go outside? Can you talk about it? Do you, do you like talking about that? Do you know what other people that go outdoors need? Um, And so like, it's just, it's knowing that stuff. So it's probably pretty inherent, but if you went to another organ or another sector, like aerospace, for instance, you would probably need to do a bit of work with jargon and terminology. So you'd need to up your levels there in the outdoor industry. It's the same. I think that we're probably all like, we know all of the jargon right now, just because we've been doing the outdoor stuff, but like it, if you look at it, I, I bet you if you said a bunch of words just about your normal everyday life to your mom, she'd be like, oh, I don't know what that means, right? So there's jargon here. So um, it's easy to find that stuff out though. Like I just find it on social media. I just follow like a bunch of different people from different generations, by the way, that's important um, and see how they speak. And it's a matter of just assimilating in that way in like technical job scope wise, very similar all other elements. And then just in terms of the network, which is still the community, right? Like going from industry to industry has only been a little bit challenging for me in terms of like, oh my gosh, I have to rebuild my network from the ground up now. Although each network totally builds on itself. So people will come out of the woodwork and be like, Ooh, here's a tie that no one expected plot twist, but like, Hey, do you want to bring AI into the outdoor industry? Yes, I do. Actually, let's do that right now. So it's cool. So we're at our, we just hit time. Um, so 
Let's see, unless you can answer this one really quick. I can answer this one really quick. Um, so. Yep, you should be connecting with all elements of the business because that really shows the health of the business. And I'm really always intrigued to know like how the inner workings of a, a company talks to each other. Like if different facets of an organization are in communication and all on the same page and have a similar message and are like feel valued and like can can be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll connect you with that person. I know that person in another department. That's a really healthy company. That's actually a green flag in a company. Um, but yeah, so HR is usually a really good one to reach out to. Recruiters will talk to you because it's their job to get good candidates. So they might be a good early talk, but they're not going to have as much culture information. I would reach out to the people in the departments that you want to work for. So if you're a designer, I would absolutely be reaching out to designers. At the end of the day, they're the hiring managers usually. So HR will be the person doing the job description and disseminating that job description. They will source candidates for the hiring manager who is the designer if it's a design job and if they know your name and if they think that you're cool they will have the power to surface your application so it's really good to talk to both keeping in mind that people are not a monolith some will be super excited to talk to you and answer your questions some are like i do not answer linkedin messages at all um, and some make it very clear in the job description so i'd read that very fully and see if there's any hints right in there so since we're out of time i wanted to just plug this real quick. I dropped a link in for a thread that Jenna started um, with some of the questions that you all submitted before the class started. Um, and her network is responding to those questions. So I'd say let's put into practice like what we talked about. And I would love to hear you all share your experience in that thread. Like what are the challenges you are all are facing? This is a great opportunity to start to engage and build that that network and and comment, which now we know commenting is extremely valuable. Um, so please jump on that thread, share your experience. There's going to be, there are already people there like sharing really valuable insights. Um, so please do that. that. That's probably the best way to engage with Jenna too. As we learned, your inbox is very full. Um, yeah. Comment, comment on my stuff. Yeah. That'd be great. So Jenna, thank you so much. This was so valuable. I know it was valuable for the, the class as well. So thank you all sure. for your great questions and thanks for the time. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, everyone connect with me. I will totally connect with you back and I hope to see you out there. And, um, if you get a job or if you're struggling, like, let me know, especially if you get a job, cause I just like to celebrate, but if you're struggling and you just need like a little like poke that you're, that you're awesome. I'm happy to do that. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.